This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver. We're out here on 17th Street, Longhorns just passed, the stock show parade, the whole thing kicks off this Saturday. And that's what we're talking about on today's show, because the big news of the week comes to us from that great urban-rural divide. Lauren Bober now says she wants to represent Denver's suburbs. And wolves are on the loose on the western slope as of last month, so we're talking about how Denverites will be living with the consequences. Yeehaw. Yeehaw indeed. Today is Friday, January 5th. I'm Paul Caroli, and here's what Denver's talking about. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, where the world is our Rocky Mountain oyster. <laughs> Gross, Paul. <laughs> uh, it's Friday. We're here at the 5280 Magazine Studios. Bree Davies is here. Hey, Bree. Hey, have you seen a picture of like a cooked Rocky Mountain oyster? I've seen a lot of them. I've been doing research. They don't, they don't look like oysters. Like, no. why is that the thing we call them? I have no idea okay. why we call them oysters. I mean, that's... I know why we call we don't call them what they are. Right, which is uh, cow balls. Yeah. It's yeah. a really a hard sell. Yeah. Anyway, stay sell. tuned for the rest of Western hard Week. Sell. Maybe there's a, a Rocky Mountain oyster tasting coming up soon. Oh. Maybe. Maybe. Um, all right. So uh, we've got a great returning guest here today to uh, help us continue Western Week. Um, she last joined us almost two years ago. I looked this up to uh, to talk about her reporting on the fight over the health department in Douglas County. Holy cow. Which was such the a- Doug, The big I know, split. The masks, the schools, the whole- Was this every- the Tri-County- Split, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the big split. Very dramatic, very dramatic. Um, but she has since gone west after a stint covering the state house for the Colorado Sun. Elliot Wensler is now a political reporter with the Aspen Times. Welcome back, Elliot. Hello, yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks um, for coming back. And just to clarify, it's Aspen Times, it's Vail Daily, it's Summit Daily, it's Steamboat, it's several other papers. Mm-hmm. I have not figured out how to quickly summarize my <laughs> new job. So, but if um, you pick up a newspaper in Summit County, there's a good chance your yeah, byline's your in, in there. there. Yes. Cool. And uh, also, because a lot of people, when I posted about this on Twitter, thought like, congratulations, you're moving to the resort communities. And I had to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I actually still live in Denver because I will be still covering the state house and covering um, the congressional delegation for the Western Slope, but from mm. Denver. I just get to take the occasional trip up 70 and uh, for company mm. ski trips and Company stuff ski like trips. That. Yeah. Torture. Oh. Yes. Very hard. Very, very difficult. Um, Ellie, while I was doing some research on you, uh, knowing you were coming in and knowing we're doing this Western week, I learned that you are from Nashville, Tennessee, which is a city in the East where people also wear cowboy hats. Y'all. What's the deal with that? How do you, is that that a different kind of thing? What's the difference between what we do here and what they do there? You know, I actually think that there's a lot of similarity and I found a lot of comfort out here realizing how much people love country music. That was not something Mm. I expected. I lived in Florida for a stint and people just like fully made fun of country music all the time. And I, 
also do that sometimes. <laughs> but when other people were doing it, I found myself being like, wow, I'm really homesick. And I like miss that people having, you know, this complicated relationship with country music where they kind of love it and kind of hate it. But I feel like I, I've found that out here too, where there's a lot of people who, yeah. who really enjoy that style of music. And and I think about the sort of modern take on country from like Sturgill Simpson and Tyler Childers. Yeah. And love Sturgill Simpson. Of course, yeah. the forever oh. love we have for Dolly Parton and like mm-hmm. that vein of country. But there is also the other side of it, which is like my sister's one of these like Morgan Whalen people maybe or goes mm-hmm. to the stampede <laughs> and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely both of those kinds of country for sure. Mm. Yeah. Mm. All right, let's get into our uh, top story of the day. Uh, This is a big one. It's something we've been following for months and months and months and months. Um, We last spoke about Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who represents Colorado's third congressional district the week before Christmas. Uh, At the time, the discussion was about how even Republican leaders in our state were abandoning her after her Beetlejuice moment. She was at the time running for re-election or just starting to run for re-election next year. Um, But then last Wednesday, the Congresswoman made a major announcement in this Facebook video. Now for this video, let's get right to it. Today, I am announcing my candidacy for the 2024 Republican nomination to represent Colorado's fourth congressional district in the United States House of Representatives. It's the right move for me personally, and it's the right decision for those who support our conservative movement. She really came into it hot like a YouTuber. She was like, smash the like, that's the subscribe button. Get ready with me. Let's get into it. She's talented. She has it. She has that thing that she people does. who are good at YouTube and stuff are good at. And anyway, so it was a good video. It was a long video, but I, I do recommend watching the whole thing because people are all take it. You know, everyone has their own. Every, what oh, they I love say when about people Bobert, like micro like, parse every single someone's yeah. like how they move their mouth and which way they turn, and they're like. This yeah. such a weird thing, but interesting. Yeah. Yes. That's not what we're talking about. No, no. well, a little bit. Um, Elliot, uh, you've reported on on politics but in the 4th District, uh, which includes parts of Denver's South Suburbs and Dugco, where she's now running for Congress, and the 3rd now, which includes the Western Slope, where Aspen is. So that's why we wanted to talk to you. What, what was your first response to this this video, this blockbuster news from Miss Bobert? Well, um, it was definitely shock. I think I said a curse word because I was like, oh, God, this means that I need to, like, jump on this immediately. It's a big Um, story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, like, after a couple hours and after thinking about it for a little bit, I was kind of like, how did I not see this coming? Like, in hindsight, it it just feels like, to me, it felt like, oh, yeah, that that makes sense that that would be what happened. But of course it's hindsight. You know, I, I did not at all foresee this. What made sense to you in hindsight? What, what came together? I think just the fact that, um, well, this gets into it real quick, but, um, I think that this makes it a more difficult proposition for Adam Frisch to win in CD3 now, because there's been a lot of evidence that's shown that Boebert was really the, the vulnerable candidate here and not a generic Republican. Um, so with her leaving the race, Adam Frisch kind of has a different battle. He can't, he can't be up against Lauren Boebert. He has to be up against Republicans. And the district doesn't seem to dislike Republicans. Mm. They seem to have had a hard time with, with 
Congresswoman Boebert specifically. So Right. So Frisch, if anyone somehow doesn't know this at this point, but Frisch is the Democrat who nearly beat Boebert a year and a half ago uh, and lost by only 546 votes. He's been fundraising like crazy, including from oh, yeah. Hollywood superstars like Ryan Reynolds and Barbara and, Streisand. I like this point you're making, which is going up against Boebert is a fight you can, there's sensationalism there built in for you to go up against. Right. If he's going up against. And with, yeah, and he was very, very close last time, super unexpectedly. I mean, all of the polling and the pundits were like, there's no way. And then they said he was going to lose by, you know, thousands and thousands of votes. And he lost by, you know, 546. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there's that. And then there's also what happened in the fall. There's the Beetlejuice incident. Again, if if somehow people have not heard about this, it was um, the congresswoman was removed from a Denver theater um, for being disruptive, vaping, talking, things like that. There's a lot more to it than that, but that's kind of the gist. Just Google Um, Bobert Beetlejuice. You'll get the whole Mm -hmm. story. You can spend so much time on that Google And enjoy search. yourself. Yeah. It is pretty entertaining. And I see people talking about that, like, on the World Wide Web. People from... All the time. ...everywhere are talking about it, which is so interesting. Oh, it was one of the biggest moments of the year last yes, year. Yes, for exciting. sure. Very and, exciting. And it, it seems to have caused a really big hit for her in her district. We started seeing some, um, you know, really mainstay Republicans in the states coming out for her primary candidate, or for her primary. Jeff Hurd. Jeff Hurd, yeah, for her her opponent there. And so, I don't know, I think that happened. I think there was, she, there have been rumors that there was maybe some internal polling that was done that showed that in the general election against Frisch, a a matchup wasn't going to go that well for her. Now, I haven't confirmed that. I haven't seen that. That's sort of just the word out there. Hmm. Um, so that kind of sets up things for CD3 that like, okay, now does it make it a little bit easier for Republicans to hold on to that? But at the same time, CD4 is like by far the most Republican district in the state. CD3 is like plus nine for Republicans in a, you know. How it's expected, how, how the districts were drawn. To fall. Yeah. Right. And CD4 is like plus 24. So this stra- strategically is just like. Plus 27. Okay. Excuse me. So it kind of, it sort of sets up a scenario where it seems like it's easier for Republicans to hold on to both of those districts. So why not move into the district where we're losing somebody who was pretty popular? Ken Buck was in that seat. Longtime congressman out of Weld County. And he's 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 just not running again um, with his, because of his disillusionment with his own party, as, as what I've understood. So she was seeing strategically... This would just make more sense. I, yeah, I guess so. But I mean, it's important to note that um, this was a, was a shock to everybody. Like I was sitting there kind of like kicking myself. Should I have seen this coming? And then I started calling, you know, everybody I know. And I was like, did you know this was coming? Did you know? And everyone was like, no, I had literally no idea. We had no nothing coming. And also um, reporter for the Colorado Sun, Jesse Paul, he was the first person to report on this and was like hot on the track knew that it was coming and was calling her, like people close to her to try to confirm it. And they wow. were like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, so are, this... are you sure? So it seems like it might've just been like her and a close and like, group of and a really trusted close group. advisors. Right. And even the, something that I thought was really interesting is the, uh, 
chair of the Republican Party for the state of Colorado. I don't know if if you all have seen the statements he put out, but he seemed to even be taken aback. Yeah. I've got a quote from Dave him right Williams. here. Dave, yeah. Dave, Dave, Dave let's, let's go, go Brandon, Brandon Williams. Williams. Um, he said, we felt she was best suited for Congressional District 3 and that she was in the best position to win re-election and retain that for Republicans. Mm. Yeah. So not only was he surprised, but I don't think he supports this. No, he also, he also said... He thinks that there's a lot of people in CD3 that are going to be really disappointed by this, um, that are going to be frustrated that uh, she's not not going to be trying to represent them anymore. They can't vote for their girl. Yeah, but it's like I'm thinking about this just from the seat holding perspective of just a Republican is a Republican. So, I mean, how did we get Donald Trump? Even if Republicans didn't outwardly say they supported him, enough of them fell in line and voted for him. We may see the same thing happen in CD4. Yeah. Um, so we, we've talked a little bit about her motivations. I, I want to play one more clip from her Facebook video because I thought this was interesting. So this is how she's framing what she's doing. Here. Mm. Since the first day I ran for public office, I promised I would do whatever it takes to stop the socialists and communists from taking over our country. That means <laughs> staying in the fight. But it also means not allowing Hollywood elites and progressive money groups to buy the third district, a seat that they have no business owning. I will not allow dark money that is directed at destroying me personally to steal this seat. <laughs> Homegirl out here on the national stage all the time firing mm-hmm. brimstoning all her Christian evangelicals who cannot vote in her district across the country pulling that money in. Please. Yeah. Please. Like, come on. Also, like, oh, the commies and the socialists. Like, dog whistle, dog whistle. We get mm-hmm. it. We get it. It's just like same old Bobert playbook yeah. to me. She knows what she's doing. She's playing to her base and her base exists in CD3 and CD4. It's just, I, I don't know. I think it's kind of a red no matter who f- for folks and she may be elected even if, you know, a month ago people were not thinking she was going to be their candidate. Right, right. So we'll talk about CD4 uh, a bit in a second. I just, I just got to point out, like, there's part of me that respects the game here. Like, she's she's talking about these Hollywood donors, all these people yeah. who've donated money to Frisch. I think he's raised over $7 million. Yeah, I, I'm not discounting that that's also part of the game. You know what I mean? Democrats play that game, too. It's not that they're we're better than than the GOP in that mean? sense. Like, yeah, I would call that out too if I was her. It makes sense to me to say like, oh, this is where the money's coming from. You're right. It is where the money's com- coming from. But like, I, I, it, the game part is what bothers me as a voter. Like as a voter, mm. I don't like being played. And I know that this is how politicians talk about it and political strategists talk about it. But when it comes down to somebody's vote, that feels very, it's just rude. Oh, I, I'm just part of your game? Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I don't know. The point I was trying to make was like, she is playing that game and she's playing it well. Cause all that money that, that people sure. have donated to Frisch, is that going to be very useful? You know, he's running a whole different race now against likely. He Jeff has Heard. to completely re-strategize, yeah. I think. Cause it's like, like you said, Elliot, it's, he's not up against the known quantity of this Lauren Boebert sensational thing. It's something, it's a totally different game now. And there's a good chance that more people are going to jump into, into that race in CD3 now that she's no longer running. So mm. he, it, it could, could be get- Jeff Heard, but there also could be someone who resembles Boebert, uh, you know, someone with that similar mindset could could jump in and run. Um, you know, state rep Matt Soper has been rumored at considering running for the seat. Um, 
and he said that he's interested. You know, we'll see. There's there's several other people that have been rumored at, at entering, and I think that there's a good chance because it's another opportunity for Republicans in the state, and there's not very right. many of those. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there's totally. very limited chances for an ambitious Republican to succeed in Colorado right now, so that's why we're seeing so many people have entered the CD4 race. So many people are, are probably going to enter CD3 because it's like, this is where your shot is. Well, let's talk a little bit more about CD4, because Elliot, you've, you've reported on politics and Douglas County. Part of Douglas County is in this big district. It also includes Weld County. It's the whole Eastern Plains, basically, the big chunk of the Eastern part of the state. Um, What's your take on that race that she's jumping into? Yeah, I mean, CD4 is geographically massive, right? It's like all of the Eastern Plains, and then it goes into Douglas County. It like butts up right against Denver. Right. Like for people. I was just looking at the map yesterday, and I was like, holy... This it's is huge. huge. Yeah, which yeah. is like kind of the same reaction you have to CD3. They're both like these huge areas. But uh, in CD4, half more than half of the population of that district is in Douglas County. So I think that that's like very important to point out. Um, Douglas County is going to be really key here. And of course, uh, Lauren Bobert does not live in CD4 right now. Not she yet. lives Not yet. She says she's going to move. She says she's going to move. She says that Douglas County is a possibility. Um, of where she's going to move. I think she's also said, like, maybe Weld. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Douglas County just because of that sheer fact that um, that that's where so many of the people are. And Douglas County is, like, it, it, it goes back to my roots. It was the first job that I had here in Colorado was covering politics in Douglas County. And I was, like, pretty much fresh out of J school. And, man, was that a place to, to cut my teeth in journalism. It was really great. And, and the people there were very kind to me, but it also just got like, as the pandemic came, it got crazier and crazier. And, uh, tell us about it. What's their, what's the dominant strain of conservatism? I mean, I think that's the question and that's what makes it interesting because like Douglas County is not a stranger to Republican infighting, Mm. like as is shown by the last time I was on this, this show, I think we talked about this some with the, the tri-county breakup, but then there was like this huge fight that has continued now. It's still going on between the three commissioners who are all Republicans and like the followers of Republican politics in the county have frayed in part because of that county commissioner fight. And so people like really align themselves with one side or the other. And like where that is going to overlay with like Bobert politics versus the other candidates in that race, I don't know yet. I mean, I spent a little bit of time, as I always do, just keeping an eye on, you know, the politics Facebook pages of Douglas County. I <laughs> I can't seem to to get away from that. Um there were some, I mean, like, of course, that's not representative, but it just is conversation. And it's it it wasn't people being like, great, guess we're all switching to Bobert now. Like, guess we, really? that's who we're going to support. It was people being like, I don't really like that she's just coming over here because she wasn't going to win in her district. Mm. Um, and, like, I think that's going to be a big question for CD4 is how much people don't like that kind of maneuver. Yeah, yeah, and I guess we'll see that more in the primaries, like how people really feel about it. Because once it gets down to the actual election, that stuff won't matter anymore. I don't right. think. No, It'll I mean, by the, the time the, we're there, it's like, well, she switched. She switched districts. Whatever. Right. I got to vote I for mean, my it's person. Plus twenty seven for Republicans. Right. Like people are not gonna. I mean, I'm not. I don't have a crystal ball. 
pundits have been wrong, but it, it seems unlikely that a Democrat could take that seat. No, no, clearly not. <laughs> clearly the, the interesting part is going to be the Republican primary in June, and that's yes. what we're going to be watching for. And right. um, I don't know. I mean, personally, I feel like she's got a chance here, you know, not just the name recognition, but I think her policy record, you know, she's been a longtime champion of the oil and gas industry on the Western Slope. And, you know, that's huge in Weld County. I think there's going to be a lot of people that, uh, that are interested in her and see her as an ally. Oh, definitely. I mean, she has a lot going for her in that district. Um, name recognition does go a long way. I think a lot of people even feel like she's been unfairly targeted, that she, you know, that people just won't let up. And they like the things that she's done. They like seeing, you know, the the Pueblo Jobs Act. They like seeing the different things that she has, that she's focused on. You know, recently she's been able to focus a lot more on policy. Some say that it's because she's trying to rehab her identity. She says, well, now Republicans have a majority and that's why I'm able to to get more done. I, mm -hmm. I interviewed her and, and that was um, a big point that she made is like, it's not just that I'm suddenly doing this, it's that I suddenly can do it. You talked to her? She's I always did. turned down my requests. What's she like? Um, She's... She's just like maybe like how you would how you would expect any politician to be. She wasn't in any way like it, you know. I asked her questions and she answered the questions. Hmm. Um, she, I didn't find her to be particularly combative in any way or um, or anything like that. She just pretty much had prepared answers and and went off the cuff. Even as I tried to kind of ask stuff that maybe she wasn't asked before, she seemed prepared. And I don't know. It wasn't very different than other interviews that I've done with politicians, which I think is like. People said that I, I heard reporters say that about Trump as well, that they would like expect it to be similar to his like, uh, you know, campaign speeches. And then it was just a lot more like, no, it's just like interviewing somebody. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, we will be continuing to try to book her on this show for an interview. And we will obviously be talking about this as that race develops. But right now we're going to go to a quick break and we'll be back with more Western Week. Hey, CityCast Denver. My name's Chef Andrew Fourlines, and I'm excited for the stock show this year. I'm actually going to be doing some cooking demos and appliance technology classes in the CSU Spur Terra building, their state-of-the-art kitchen. We're going to be doing uh, demos all day long on January 6th and January 20th, showing people how to cook steak with modern cooking technology. Really excited to do it, and we're going to have a good time. So have people come check it out. Excited for the stock show. My daughter's going to be in the parade, so that's going to be fun. All right, bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by Pine Melon, the farmer's market delivered. Pine Melon is a next-generation grocery delivery app that partners with over 200 farmers, ranchers, and producers in Colorado to help make fresh, locally sourced foods available to the Denver community at fair prices. Get high-quality meats, eggs, and dairy from small local farms, fresh-baked breads from local bakeries, and more, as well as all of your favorite pantry staples. Best part is, Pine Melon offers same-day delivery to Denver and soon Boulder within a two-hour window, no subscription necessary. Save time in your busy schedule and get fresh and healthy groceries delivered right to your door. Join the movement and support local today. Use promo code CityCastDenver for $75 off your first delivery at PineMelon.com. That's PineMelon.com. All right, we're back. Now that the 
Bulls have done their parade. The stock show is officially on tomorrow. Uh, so to continue our Western week celebrating and investigating Denver's Western roots, we want to talk about uh, some recent news from the urban-rural divide. Here we are in Denver on the urban side of that, but um, a lot of ranchers are in town for the stock show. So uh, so we're going to talk about these two stories, and we want to try to connect the dots. The first is uh, wolf reintroduction, which has been really big in the last month or so. Elliot, you've been covering this a lot. Can you just quickly like catch people up with a little TLDR of like where we're at with wolf reintroduction right now? Yeah, so voters approved Proposition 114 in 2020, which required the state to begin reintroducing wolves by the end of 2023. So obviously that just happened. They were able to begin the reintroduction process of wolves. Um, it was really just like adding wolves to the state as well because some had already, as I'm sure people have seen, some had already wandered in um, from surrounding states, but they went and captured wolves up in Oregon after several other states said that they did not want to provide the wolves. Uh, they initially captured five and brought them to Colorado and released them uh, just right there at the end of December. It was right around, there were a couple of uh, legal challenges to the yeah. process in kind of like the ninth hour. We did a lot of reporting on that. There were there was one case that um, filed a asked for an immediate injunction and asked a judge basically to stop the process, and the judge ended up turning that down. There was another case that was filed that didn't ask for that type of injunction, but still, you know, asked to maybe you can call them back. Maybe you can like use these tracking collars that they have and, and bring it back. This whole thing was so complicated. The plan to get, re it wasn't just like, we'll get some wolves and we'll put them back in. It was like a whole strategic plan on where they were going to get them, how yeah. they were going to introduce them, how they were going to track them, how mm -hmm. they were going to track the process in general. And uh, I have to say, as a voter of this, I didn't know or think about all that until after. Kind oh, yeah. Of. Well, that's that's what I wanted to talk about. Because back in the vote, I mean, the vote was very um, – it was uh, unbalanced. You know, people here in Denver were right. m way, way more in favor of reintroduction for, like, ecological reasons. But then in the rural areas, ranchers and such were way against it because they don't want wolves to be eating their livestock. For um, sure. And one of those legal challenges was from the Cattlemen's Association um, – but Bri, I wanted to, I mean, do you, do you know anybody here in Denver who is like excited about this or like talking about the, the video Polis put out of him <laughs> releasing the wolves? Like, I, don't, no, I didn't hear a peep. I didn't either. And I just felt like after the fact of the vote itself, I felt uninformed as a voter. I hmm. wish that I had understood more from the rancher's perspective because I heard it, which I think most folks who voted in Denver, uh, for it was the ecological reasons. It's like restoring the natural ecosystem in Colorado and it, they're natural predators to certain animals. And it keeps like, you know, it just like keeps everything going from what I understood. It was ecologically the right thing to do. Yeah. And then this happened and then we're starting, you know, that great piece from the Oregonian about the struggle, like you're saying, Elliot, for even surrounding states didn't want to give us wolves. And I think part of that was because the ranchers we're so concerned about their their cattle and being a part of that. People just didn't even want to be a part of it. And I'm understanding it now more, but I genuinely think most Denverites who voted didn't really think. About I think it. what you're saying is probably um, there are people on the Western Slope who are like banging their fists on their kitchen table listening to yeah, this. <laughs> and I totally, and I just yeah. want to be totally honest. Yeah. I I thought I was informed. Right. I don't know if I was. Right. And I think that that was like, that's the sentiment in the Western Slope by, by a lot of people who oppose this is like, 
you, a lot of folks like liked the idea of this. They thought it was going to be this, like, like you said, the right thing to do and this like beautiful concept, but they're not going to be the ones who have to deal with having these, these predators in their backyards and, um, you know, living with kind of we, the, the fears eating their livelihood, which is, right. is cows. Well, well, let's talk about that. Cause that's the other story I wanted to connect here that brings in the whole stock show thing into this wolf reintroduction story. And this is, this is a story from the Colorado sun last month about the economics of these ranches and, um, specifically the cost of beef. Um, prices apparently are up 28% since 2018. And, uh, the other statistic that really jumped out at me was that, um, raising a cow in 2022 was a money loser for ranchers, according to this article, like, like the cost to raise the cow exceeded the cost of selling the cow. So, so Elliot, how do you feel like wolves fit into that picture? You know, how much Denverites are paying for, for steak? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of ranchers feel like they are just under attack from a lot of different directions and that the work that they do is really not valued and that, um, there's just sort of a, a, and wolves is like a big symbol of that. It's like, okay, the rest of this state really does not appreciate the what we are providing them. Do you want to have food? Do you want to have, you know, potatoes? Do you want beef? Because, like, between the water scarcity that this state is facing and the ranchers are having to deal with, the wolves, like, there are a lot of things that, that, they're, that they feel like they're up against right now. Um, and they're, you know, they're not wrong. There, there are a lot of things that make their jobs difficult. And, um, and they're we're all paying the price now. Right, right. And, and people on the front range, I think most would admit like, yeah, I don't know what it looks like to work on a ranch. I don't have an understanding of the challenges that that you're facing. Hmm. Yeah, that the Oregonian story really got into that, uh, what ranchers were having to do to keep their uh, cows safe from wolves, which was like right. sleeping in your truck with your herd, right? Like having these like mm. types of fences around it, and just like I just had not thought about that aspect. But I have to say, Paul, what I took from this story from the Colorado Sun, which also I love the graphic mm-hmm. design on this story because it looks like the Oregon Trail, mm-hmm. like that. It's beautiful to me. Was like so clear and it. It resonated with me, but link in the show notes. It's great. It's great. But uh, what I took from the story was like, why are we still eating beef? <laughs> it feels like a. It feels like it's the, not efficient. The math isn't math in here. What are we doing? Like, if it's that, like, if it's costing ranchers, what are? Why are we not taking that as a sign that we need to change our habits? I don't know. That's what I took from it. That's interesting. I, I was thinking of, you know, along the same lines, actually, about like how this market worked and how like the vote over uh, wolves sort of says something about what we value right now. Like, what do we want out of our food? And like, you know, there's so many more people who live in cities now versus 100 years ago when cattle ranching was a much more popular profession. And like, since this is a democracy, all these more people get to put their fingers on the balance and say, we want to pay less and we don't care if there's wolves coming after your cows. Yeah, because most of us are not thinking. And I feel like they kind of talked about this in the story is like you walk to the, you go into a store, you buy a package of ground beef and you make tacos for Taco Tuesday or whatever. You're not thinking about, and this is a problem that I think we, we have as meat eaters, not thinking about the process that where we get meat in the first place. But that to me is that that cognitive dissonance is a part of this problem. We aren't thinking about not only the animals, but the people Mm -hmm. on the other end who are creating that for us. Mm. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm a meat eater. That's the thing is like, I'm not like, oh, we shouldn't be eating meat. It just made me think, what are we doing? Yeah. You know? Interesting. (laughs) Elliot, how do you feel about the, uh, the, the cost of beef thing fitting into the wolf story? How do you feel like that? Well, 
I do want to point out, like we were talking about the Oregonian story and like it was interesting what you're saying about all of the different things that you can do to protect your livestock from animals. And I do think that's really interesting because there's like a lot of different things that ranchers can do, but they like, some of them only work for a little while, or some of them are like really expensive. Like you can bring in burrows, I learned, and they chase off predators like wolves, which I just think is- Yeah, like donkeys. donkeys. Oh, okay. (laughs) Which I I just think A donkey will chase off a wolf? I guess. (laughs) Whoa. Payton's over here like, duh, Paul. Yeah. (laughs) But there's like- But there's things we don't know. And you can also like try to train. This was in, I think, a a Denver Post story from Elise Schmelzer, but uh, you can train your cattle to like behave differently so that they are are less. So there's like, there's things that can be done, um, but I don't know. There's kind of like this back and forth. So there's things that can be done, but at the same time, there is also evidence of predation. Yeah. Elliot, do we have any actual data? Do we know any numbers about how much these wolves actually attack cows? Yeah, so the Associated Press actually did a, a study of like how much this happened last year, so or in 2022 rather, mm-hmm. and it, there was like I think around 400 cases of livestock being killed, um, with like, like being mostly cattle, some lamb and sheep, uh, the occasional working dog, things like that. So it's definitely not like zero. There are definitely ranchers that are being affected by this, but when they looked at that in like the grander scheme of things, it was like 0.002%, I think. That's probably across the country, right? Right, right. Mm. So I think that the general idea is that like the vast majority of ranchers probably won't actually have their animals attacked, but the ones who do, it's going to be really terrible and also everyone's going to be like living under this fear of like, is it going to be me? Is it going to be my mm. animals? So it's not like there's just because it's not happening all the time that that means that there's no impact. Um, but it does look like based on the data that there's not quite as much um, wolf attacks on livestock as maybe people perceive. Sure. Of course, when it happens, media is going to cover it. And so that can kind of increase people's perception of how common it is. Mm. That's something to think about too. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But also it was um, found that a couple of the wolves that were released in December came from a wolf pack in Oregon that had a history of attacking livestock. I saw that and I was like, but we know that's what wolves do. They're predators. But CPW had said, we will try not to do that. Lawmakers had said, we think it'd be a really bad idea if they did that. Huh. We should really try to find wolves that have no history of attacking livestock. But then we have states not wanting to give us wolves at all. So right. maybe yeah. the maybe the pool is slim pickings. <laughs> right. And ultimately, that was what CPW said is like, look, they're all going to have some history of this. And we just kind of have to accept that and hope that the pack dynamic is going to be different now. And so it's not going to happen as much. So, I mean, it, we're just going to have to see. Regulating nature. It's rough. Right. <laughs> Maybe we should have reintroduced donkeys. How about that? <laughs> I mean, These donkeys are so ferocious. Get some donkeys out in the woods. Well, we're, we're going to leave it there and then we'll be back with our favorite segment, favorite way to end the week, Rocky Mountain Highs and Lows. Let's do it. Rocky Mountain Highs and Lows, a.k.a. wins and fails. We each brought a recent, local something that we think is a win and another one we think is a fail. And we're going to go around and we're going to talk about them. So let's do fails first so we can end on the good stuff. Bree, how about you? You want to take us away? 
Oh, yeah. I just, uh, I'm just disappointed that our favorite local money pit, the 16th Street Mall, mm-hmm. got more money this week. <laughs> City Council approved a $1.15 million contract to continue revitalizing the 16th Street Mall. Hmm. Uh, what? How, yeah, what, what? We have this other, I mean, we just put $173 million into this project. Uh-huh. This is like pre-pandemic. But like, what? And, and they're using American Rescue Plan dollars. Is that really what it's huh. for? I don't, I don't know. I feel. I mean, I can guess how they justified it, you know, revitalizing right. downtown, all these empty office buildings. But like, maybe we tourism need. Tourism money. <laughs> there's other things in this city right now that need that money so badly. And it just felt like, I'm just like, I can't believe that we keep doing this with this thing. We just keep pouring money into it. And it's, yeah. I think it's a fail. I think it's a fail for the city of Denver. And I think there's other things that could use that money. Uh, that's a perfect segue to my fail. Can I take it from there? <laughs> yep, go right okay. Ahead. Speaking of things that need money, I mean, my fail, my fail goes to the federal government, but it's because, um, the city of Denver is completely overwhelmed, um, with this wave of migrants. Yeah. It's apparently there's more migrants staying in hotels now than at any point since, uh, this current wave started last December, 4,500 people are staying in hotels. Every room I guess is full. Um, mayor Mike Johnston has been on national news programs calling for more federal support and he's not getting it, uh, not fast enough at least. Um, but, but the, the quote that really jumped out to me was that Denver has now received the most migrants per capita of any city in the country. That is so wild to me and also absolutely believable based on if you are around the city at all. Yeah, I mean, the, we just you saw this folks. huge cleanup of this encampment over at Spear and Zunai. I guess there were yeah. hundreds of people staying there. I've like, got, there's guys at Santa Fe and Alameda that are washing windows. They've washed our windows a couple of times at Alameda and Federal. They're everywhere. And they're, and I, I mean, I feel we're giving as much money as we can, but like, I feel for the mayor. I don't know how to help the situation either because we have made it very clear as a city that we are welcoming to folks. Um, we had that big banner on the city and county building, like we love migrants or we love immigrants. We do, but we do need help. And yeah. I don't envy his position. At yeah. All. That's why my fail goes to the federal government. We need more help faster. Yeah. Um, Elliot, you want to give us a fail? Mine feels a little bit more um, small potatoes compared to y'all's Good, I want to hear fails, about these potatoes. But it is, I mean, for the people that this happens to, it's a big bummer. Um, our paper summit daily came out with a story this week that showed that there's been this huge surge in people's ski gear being stolen um, really? at Breckenridge. Yeah, oh, um, a bummer. Which is, I just, I feel like anybody who has skied in Colorado, there's this like weird trust thing that happens where you leave like your hundreds or possibly thousands of dollars in gear just like out, and you go have a drink in the chalet. Maybe you do a shot ski. Maybe you just have a hamburger and you enjoy yourself, and then you come back and your stuff is safe and sound. And, um, sounds like maybe that's changing or maybe this is just a momentary, you know, early season, not enough snow. So I need to steal gear type mentality. Who knows? Do they have theories? Um, I think that's pretty much it is like that everyone's, which it doesn't, I don't really understand, but it's like everyone's stuff is just accumulated in one area because not much of the mountains are open yet. Oh, Okay. But so I, the opportunity is maybe, like a little bit greater for yeah, potential and, thieves. And there's like so many people around. Maybe it's like allows someone to to grab and go because there's like so much chaos. Yeah. That's interesting. And skiing's already expensive. And so right. if you have invested in gear and stuff, that's got to. Having it stolen would suck. be devastating. Yeah. 
it is. Well, I just think it's one of those interesting things that I find about Colorado sometimes is we have unspoken rules about things that seem quote unquote safe or not. Like, right. That's what of, I was thinking too. Know? Like you just leave your skis out on those. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I, I haven't skied in uh, 10 years, but you just leave them out there on the rack and that's how it's always been. It would be a shame if that went away, if, if norms changed over this. Yeah. I think they were talking about like, oh, you can rent a locker. I was like, what? You're going to go like down the stairs to the lockers. You know how hard it is to use stairs in <laughs> yeah. ski gear. It's just like, yeah, it just doesn't work for the flow that had worked for a very long time. Huh. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, all right, let's get to wins. So Rocky Mountain Highs. Rocky Mountain Highs of the week. Um, you know what? I will start. Um, we're here almost at the end of the Denver Broncos season, and uh, the Broncos are very uh, middling. Uh, it's a middling record, but they were in the news uh, last week over this contractual dispute between Russell Wilson, the quarterback, and the coach, Sean Payton. Payton benched Wilson uh, despite his massive contract and massive expectations when they traded all these draft picks and players for him a couple of years ago. Uh, but my win goes to Russell because he is just – an absolute class act, you know, to be paid hundreds of millions of dollars to do this job um, and then to be benched. You know, a lot of people, I think that could be embarrassing, but the way he's handled it, you know, he still dressed for the game last week. He supported his team in the way that he could. And, and I thought, I, I love the way I he's mean, doing it. I mean, if you it. were paying I'm me a hundred million dollars, I'd dress up <laughs> however you wanted me to. That's but. fair. <laughs> fair. <laughs> um, but, but I don't think everyone in his position would do it. And I, and I think he's handled it pretty well. You think they would pout? Yeah, I think they would pout or, or they would just not play, you know, or they'd say, oh, I, I have a concussion or I have a, a, a headache or whatever. I, I can't play or I can't I can't be a part of this, you know, because the embarrassment. Yeah, no, I mean, that's what half of sports is, is ego. So right. you have to figure out how to handle it. Yeah. And Good like point. you kind of have to have an ego to be 100 percent to go out there and do that. But yeah, anyway. Yeah. We don't have to talk about sports anymore. You, one well, of you two mine's kind of sporty. Mine was also sports. <laughs> We're going to talk about sports until the cows come home. Go ahead, Elliot. Um, kind of in a different direction. I mean, it's sort of sporty. I was invited this week to go to the Ure Ice Fest, ice climbing oh, nice. festival. So, oh, that's yeah, cool. different type of sport, but still people hurting themselves. <laughs> For folks who don't know this festival, what is it? Mm. <laughs> Ice climbing? Yeah, so it's this like world-renowned festival in Ure where people are having, I think, competitions of ice climbing. So ice climbing is basically you have um, like two picks, one in each hand, and you have these like crazy shoes with spikes on, and you're ascending an ice wall, like throwing the pick into it. So I don't know if I'm going to do that. There is supposedly a kid's wall, so I'm considering it. Um, (laughs) But... A lot of just like watching, seeing, you know, people do this like kind of crazy sport because I don't know how many times in life you get a chance to see that. You're also in Ure, so it's beautiful. Beautiful. Um, And there's lots of like activities and uh, just shopping and things like that, you know, like little markets and stuff like that. When when is the festival? It's in a couple weeks, uh, mid-January. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. We'll put a link to that in the show notes too if folks are interested in seeing that. I'm kind of interested. I've I'm never, curious. Yeah. yeah. I've never Can't quite heard picture of this it. Before, but it sounds really hard. I mean, your whole body weight while like and just two picks and some crazy shoes. Yeah. Yeah. It's real stamina. I have not watched a lot of ice climbing in my life, so I'm very curious to see what it looks like. That sounds fun. We'll we'll eagerly await your report on uh, on the festival. Uh, Brie, how about you? Well, over the break, um, Aaron Gordon from the Nuggets had this dog situation that was like 
very hysterical at first. The reporting on it was like, oh my God, he got bit by a dog in the face. Yeah. He's, he's like Mr. Nugget. He's like the most beautiful of the nuggets. So we were like, oh. my best friend was texting me. Casey was like, oh my God, Aaron Gordon got bit in the face. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And then 21 stitches in his shooting hand. And I thought, oh God, he's going to be out for the season. We're screwed. He wandered back in. To, he took two games off, came back in. He was like, yeah, it's fine. I had, a, I had a little altercation with my own dog who, like, I haven't been training very properly. I'm, I want to get better at training yeah. him. And we were playing around, and we got a little crazy, and he bit me in the face and the hand. And <laughs> I'm fine, wow. but I'm fine. And he was fine. So it was just a, it was just a moment where we were like, no, we need, we need our nuggets to be top tier like they were last year. So he's good. That and his, is- his face – Looks untouched. Still, still beautiful. Most important part of the story for me. He still looks beautiful. <laughs> he is the he is the biggest hunk on the team. He is very hunky. For sure. So. Maybe the biggest, one of the biggest hunks in the city, I would say. Oh, for sure. For Top Denver? Five? Yeah. Is he a bachelor? Uh, yeah. And he like apparently has a cool place in Five Points where like he has a giant yeah. garage play- space where he has his cars on one side and then a court on the other and everybody like hangs out there. So, hmm. and he was the one that walked through the city like shirtless <laughs> the night that they won, just like walking home and everybody walked with him. It was great. Those photos are incredible at that moment. So I do like that guy. I do too. He's he very likable. Like he's got a good attitude. Yeah. And he's doing okay. Well, that is the end of the show. Yeah. This was so fun. Elliot, thanks for coming back. Thanks. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. See y'all next week. Hey, it's Bree Davies, and I'm here with newsletter editor Adrian Gonzalez. Hi, Adrian. Howdy, Bree. So it's Western Week here at CityCast Denver, and we're here with our Tacovas tip. Adrian, what do you have for us? Today's tip is all about horse riding. Uh, Denver is a great place to get Western outfits to learn about the history of the West, but is there anywhere to actually ride a horse? I recommend the Rocky Mountain National Park. They actually have places that will you can go rent a horse, you can stay overnight, do a whole packing trip, or you can just take a stroll on a horse And look at the beauty of the West here, just a few minutes outside of Denver. I love this idea. You don't have to like know somebody with a horse. You can go to one of our parks and do it. It's beautiful. Yeah, the High Country Stables actually are located inside of the park. And so your park pass is included in your entrance. There are other stables that you can go to, but then you have to pay for the horse and for the park pass. Sounds like a good deal. Thanks for joining us, Adrian. Thanks, Bree. Step into a new pair of Tacovas for wherever your journey takes you. And remember... Don't go gently. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, and Olivia Jewell-Love. Peyton Garcia and Adrian Gonzalez write our morning newsletter, Hey Denver. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocochetes, with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, rate us five stars, follow us on Instagram at CityCast Denver, and tell someone in town for the stock show about us next time you see them. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. Oh, a pedal bar? This is the poop cleaners. This is where they pick up the poop. All right, let's get out of here. Great's over. Okay.